You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Hey, Tracy, we are back, and uh, Grogu's headbanging to the theme music as usual. As per usual. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we're back on recording Saturday, so woo yeah, yeah. It uh, it feels like um, I was mentioning to you before we before we hit record and kind of got things underway that I am in the point of the school year as a teacher where I am on fire on the bicycle that is in fire through hell and all of that. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to June third, which is when graduation happens for my school and when I intend to have all of my grades turned in uh, and to sort of do the equivalent of walking away from the exploding car behind me. So that's um, yeah, really kind of feeling motion. it. Yeah, it's slow motion. motion. Always slow motion. Got to do the hero walk. Do the hero walk. Uh, yep. Big coat. The nice thing, though, about it being graduation is uh, there's already a big flowy robe. So, like, honestly, <laughs> the equipment matches already. Um, so it's okay. So, 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 would you call this point in a school year kind of horrific? Is it a is it a uh, horror? Oh well, that's it's interesting that you're that you're 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 Mr. Segway now. Look at you right there with a <laughs> with a Bram Stoker nominated. Is it, isn't it guest. terrifying? So, yeah. yeah. Oh God, this guy, this guy right here. Um, but yeah, we're really happy to have Nathan Ballingrad on, especially uh, in light of your brand new book, which dropped in March, The Strange. Um, welcome. It's so good to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. What's All it right, like so, being a Bram Stoker nominator? Nomination. Nominated? 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 Nomin- nom a person. Uh, it's not something Excited. I think about very often. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing that happened. Yeah. yeah. They do have it's the exciting. coolest little trophies, though. They really do. I don't know if you have. One of those. I would love to have that little house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever, Patrick, have you ever, like, had your hands on a Bram Stoker trophy before? I have not. I don't think that, that I've ever seen one. In live they're, in person. They're bonkers. They look they look like a sort of like tilty haunted house, as one does. Yeah. Um, but what's super cool about them is there is a door in the front, and then when you open the door, that is where the plaque that gives you the name of of the winner and their nominated work in the year uh is. That's and so cool. it looks very much just like a I don't want to say an ordinary mantelpiece sort of object because it's it's this sort of lovely, spooky, haunted house construct. But the fact of it being an award is kind of secreted within it, which is cool. That's it's a design so, that so I when have you not open seen that door, before. when you open that door, is it bigger on the inside? Uh, I mean, that's uh, not my area of expertise, but I'm going to guess probably not. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Nathan, welcome to the show. This is how we squirrel. We warned you yeah. ahead of time. Yes, yes. <laughs> so usually the backstory of how we get to this sort of moment, especially with, with an author who is new to me, is that I, I get some pitches and I read up on um, folks who have work circulating. And there has to be something in it that makes me go, huh. And then I, I, I kind of grab a hold of the work and I start reading up on it and I go like, oh. And so um, – all of these noises are, are a way of indicating that this is what happened for me when I when I read the pitch on The Strange and then I read sample pages and I went like, oh, oh, yes, big yes, uh, because it really is a kind of speculative fiction frontier world, little bit of weird West operating. Um, there's just there's a lot of strings that you're pulling here, uh, Nathan. So can you talk to our, our listeners about that? About uh, the, 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 the kind of genre mashup quality of it, you mean? Well, I think probably let's let's start at the ground floor of like the what's the book 
and we'll work at the the nuances. The book is The Strange. Uh, It takes place uh, on Mars in the year uh, 1931. Uh, It uh, it features a 14-year-old girl who uh, is there uh, working in a diner with her father. Uh, The diner is robbed and something precious to her is taken away. And because it seems that no one else has either the will or the courage or the motivation to do anything about it, she decides to do something about it herself. Uh, she starts out the, I, the story with very particular ideas of how the world works, what is right and wrong, how things ought to be, and, uh, and finds that it is a bit more complicated uh, than she initially thought. Um, it's uh, not... It's being built as a science fiction novel, and I, I suppose in many ways it is, but uh, there's not a single atom of actual scientific uh, reality. Doesn't, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be hard SF. It doesn't have to be hard SF. Nah, yeah. It is not that. Uh, you know, it's, uh, Mars has a breathable atmosphere. There's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a real Mars. It's an imaginary Mars. I guess that would fall but, under... But, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I'm sorry, but the most salient question I can think of right now is you have a diner on Mars in 1931. Mm-hmm. Uh, biscuits and gravy? Oh, absolutely. Okay. There you go. You two All are right. friends now. <laughs> <laughs> Settled the important issues. Now, I was going to say, um, like, I, I can see why you're like, this doesn't feel like science fiction to me and this doesn't feel like the bucket it belongs in. But I don't know. I mean, we call Edgar Rice Burroughs with his planetary romances science fiction. So I think there's room in that under that umbrella there. I mean, John Carter of Mars, you know, bouncing around doing his yeah. his sort of thing. And this is this is a kind of spiritual cousin to that uh, to some extent. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it was intended to be. So, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so good. All right, so I get to you get to chalk up biscuits and gravy for today. I get to chalk up being right. It's a good start for the day. <laughs> Can only continue to go up from here. I'm liking it. But I, I think also like mentioning Edgar Rice Burroughs and the whole um, John Carter sort of thing, the planetary romance genre tended, and again, we're talking about something of 100 years ago, really, tended to be this sort of realm of like, actualizing male adventure fantasies. And you've chosen a 14-year-old girl to be our, our, our guide, our protagonist here. Why is this her story? Or why did you want it to be her story? Um, mostly because uh, when I first had the first in- when I had the first inklings of the idea, uh, I, I'm a single dad. And my daughter was about that age, um, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I guess a lot of thoughts that a lot of parents have is like, is she, is she going to be okay? You know, what happens yeah. if I go out there and get hit by a bus? So what's what's she going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just worried about her making her way in the world, uh, and uh, especially because the world was, you know, was and is, you know, shifting so rapidly under our feet. You know, the rules seem to be constantly uh, evolving. And um, and so I was just imagining what it would be like to be uh, that age uh, in a world where uh, what you take for granted one day might not be true the next day. <clears throat> and um, and so that's where the character of Annabelle was born, just out of, out mm-hmm. of uh, considerations for what it felt like to be my kid. And uh, And the rest of it was just you know, 
the Martian aspect of it was just something that was kind of bubbling in the cauldron for a while anyway. Yeah, yeah. Can I can I, I just what? say that if you're if you're the single dad and uh, of a of a teenage girl, you are like way calmer than I think you should be. Well, she's in her twenties <laughs> now. She's in her <laughs> it's time to come off the off the ledge. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> now, Patrick Patrick has his uh, raised by single parent uh, merit badge uh, in his background, so. Um, <laughs> he, he knows that life from the other from the other polarity. Um, yeah, I think what what interests me, I guess, about all the different intersections and stuff here with the strange is the way in which it's kind of a different using the diner, I think, is a really cool way of kind of getting at this frontier experience of being somewhere else because it seems like restaurants and diners and you know cafeterias and bars and eating places they're a huge part of how we identify a place and they're one of the first things that we set up when we're trying to like make something that feels like home right yeah we want we need our own house and we need our own roof over our head but we also need the place that we go that's like not that you know where where someone else is going to kind of do for us for a bit and that i think it's almost a character in and of itself when you create that kind of space within a setting, because you're, you're, you've got to get us to Mars and you've got to get us to this sort of like counterfactual historical pseudo futurist version of Mars. But you also got to make it like a place that feels like what would a, what would a diner on Mars in 1931 feel like? So I don't know. You have experience working um, as as a chef and as a bartender, and so I'm wondering, like, how do you how did you draw from your own experience seeing these kind of places come together and working in them to like make this an authentic space? Um. Well, uh, as you say, it's like it, it's most of my professional life has been has been. Uh, uh, working in places like this in the service industry, either as a bartender or as a cook. And they're great communal spaces. Uh, you know, it's 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 where you could have your character interact with several other characters from the community and mm-hmm. make it a realistic sort of place. So I would just, you know, I remembered, I remembered, uh, I just drew from my memories working in the, working in the kitchens, the smell of the fryer and how that would permeate the air, the the grunge under your feet uh, after a long day of, uh, you know cooking and things spattering out of pans and onto the floor. Uh, the store, you know, the storage room in the back and the various chaotic stacks of, uh, of whatever ingredients might be ready to have to hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of closing uh, and, you know, you always have one person lingering uh, as you're trying to uh, turn the sign over. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's me. That's me. Yeah. I'm the lingerer. You're that guy? I'm the lingerer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and so yeah it's 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 it wasn't even a conscious uh you know thought of drawing on those memories they're just so baked into yeah they're just there it's just yeah um you you know what i still remember of working in in a restaurant i to this day like the because i was a bus boy mm -hmm. and we were we we never had enough spoons yeah People stole spoons. They didn't steal the forks and the knives, but they stole the spoons for some reason. And so we we were the the busboys at the different sections. We were we were competing with each other to get spoons to set tables. 
<laughs> so we would always we would always take our dishes back, put them in the in the dishwasher real quick, the automated dishwasher, and then we'd be timing it to run back and get the spoons before someone else got them. And it was always running into that room and just getting hit with this this wave of heat and humidity and, and just like slamming into you every single time and you just get drenched and then you grab your spoons and you run back out to set the tables and then it's like whoosh, cool air. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, the busters have the hardest job in the restaurant business. I think uh, it's it's grueling work. <laughs> yeah. It was at the time. I was in the smoking section. This is when they still had smoking sections in California, and I was in the smoking section. And uh, oh god, I just I couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually never had a job in um, food service when I was when I was growing up. I did. Uh, some office work and uh, I worked in like retail, like running registers or, you know, folding clothes or things like that. Um, but I never did food work. Uh, my son, who just turned 16, has worked for about the last year at a local restaurant that's just down the street from us and he walks to. And so it's been really interesting seeing him come back from working in a food environment um, because a lot of his stories sound exactly like the two of you right here talking about sort of the fine details of just the physicality of the job and all the sensory inputs. And, um, in the, in the winter, I will pick him up from work instead of letting him walk home. Cause you know, cold and we live in the Chicago area and it can be pretty brutal. And so I'll, I'll go to pick him up at the end of his shift and be parked outside. And sometimes I'm out there a good 15 or 20 minutes beyond what is the end of his shift at closing because there's the lingerers, right? There's the folks who came in five minutes before close who insist that they need to eat in and now they're not going to take a lot of time. And you can see, it's sort of funny, I can see Corwin's shadow like on the wall in the kitchen, like kind of peeking around a corner, like trying to figure out like, do I run these guys out? Like, how do I do this? <laughs> and so, well, that's, that's when you, that's when you start, you, not only are you cleaning, you're, you're picking up the chairs and you're putting them upside down on the tables yeah. around them. Many, what like, are the hints? Everything you can. Yeah. You're doing everything yeah. you can to convince them that it's time to leave. Like you start turning the lights off in other sections and it's like, yep. theirs is the only one that has a light on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Water glasses. You What's it going to take water? to activate yep. your self-consciousness? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the other side of that, this goes back to something that you were talking about before, Nathan, is the 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 way that you know people get drawn in as, as characters and are kind of uh, interacting. And I guess the cliche of the bartender is that they are like the human wall that sort of bounces back at people you know, the, the affirmations or the questions or the, you know, the rhetorical space that they need to, I mean, that's what more tropey thing is there than like someone sidling up to the bar and then deciding that you're like half food service, half therapist. Um, and I, I gotta ask, this isn't exactly a book thing, but like weirdest moments of that type that you recall from your bartending days, like, People's overshares, people's people's out of place inquisitiveness. There are so many because it was in New Orleans, which is already oh, oh yeah. There's a um, lot. That's a lot. The first one that popped into my mind, though, as you asked that question, was uh, we had this uh, character who used to come into the bar sometimes, 
she was an older lady, a little eccentric. And uh, she would sit, one night she sat down uh, at the uh, at the far end of the bar. It was kind of a slow night. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about her new pet. And, uh, and, you know, I thought she meant a dog or a cat or something of that nature. And she goes, oh, no, I brought him with me. And she holds up her hand and there's this great big, like, two-inch cockroach, uh, big palmetto bug. <laughs> and it's just racing up and down her arm, you know, goes in her neck, down her shirt, comes out again. And, uh, and uh, you know, I gave her her beer and stayed on the other side of the bar. And <laughs> I'm utterly freaked out by Away it. from the human health code violation. Yeah. yeah. Well, health codes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not all the bars in New Orleans were familiar with that that phrase. Right. Yeah. There might have been some rounding up or down as necessary. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was a so that's the first incident that pops into 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 mind when you ask that. Oh my gosh. You know, my my mom was uh she she worked her way up to bartender and then eventually manager. But uh, and then back to bartender. And so she was in a she was in a dive bar big time. Uh, yeah. which by the way, Tracy, when you were trying to name things, I'm thinking to myself, oh, Go with Triple D. Go with Triple D. Diners, drivers, and dives. Come on. Come on. Do it. Do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, she she ended up in a dive bar in Fresno, California. And uh, there's two things that I always remember growing up. One was uh, she would order food and then she wouldn't eat the food. <laughs> and so the food would end up being in the fridge when I would get up to go to school. And so this is how I, I took, you know, French dip sandwiches to school for lunch. And I took, you know, she would get Subway when Subway started, she would get Subway and she would get everything on the sandwich and she'd put it in the fridge and overnight it would just soak up all the olive oil and vinegar and everything. And I took that to school too. (laughs) Like I took anything she brought home, any leftovers to school. When she worked at the restaurant, she was a bartender. We got the French dips and we got, you know, really good stuff. And then when she was at the dive bar, uh, it was usually Subway. Um, (laughs) <laughs> the thing is, is when she passed, when she passed and I was going through her photos because she took pictures like crazy. She she always had a camera. She either had the little uh, like instant ones or she mm-hmm. had the uh, the the ones where the whole camera you take to Walgreens and you have them develop the pictures, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The you take a picture and you crank, 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 take a picture, crank, crank, crank. Uh, so she had billions of pictures and and. Tons of them were from the bars that she worked at. And she always took pictures of the people who would come into her bar. I have no idea who any of these people are, but I've got tons of pictures of them. You know, That's just great. stacks and stacks and stacks. And and some of them have pinholes in them. So mm-hmm. so she used to hang them up behind the bar as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're just, you know. You lying. know what you've actually got there? You've got a stack of writing prompts. You got like you could you could shuffle those humans like a deck of cards and lay some of them out there and be like, okay, who are you and what's your deal? Right yeah, there. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a thing. So having I mean I, I don't want to sleep on the fact that either like you've you've been a cook on oil barges? That's a heck of a gig, my friend. So how does more interesting than it really was. Um on barges and oil rigs. Yeah, it, I did that for about six to eight months. Uh, mm-hmm. I was living in New Orleans. Um, and uh, I was attracted by the notion of uh, being out there for several weeks and making a lot of money and not being having anywhere to spend it, mm-hmm. coming home, having all that money to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which yeah, it was a it was an appealing thought. Uh, it is actually really dull work. You know, I was mostly just in the kitchen. Uh, I was always the uh, we just make up great big pots or tureens of of uh, very easy stuff, like not much beyond Chef Boyardee level. Right, right. And, uh, and uh, it was like cafeteria food. And we mm. put it out there. People would kind of come in uh, for meals. We'd make something new for the next meal. And then we'd have to have snacks, you know, out there, like little, like those big uh, sheet cakes or th- things of that nature for, for people want to wander in throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but most of it was quite pretty boring. It'd be 12 hours on and 12 hours off. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a long shift. And then after that was over, there'd be nowhere to go, nothing yeah. to do. So I got a lot of reading done. Um, mm-hmm. I would go out there sometimes on the deck if I was on a barge. Uh, I guess I could do that too on the rigs. And uh, and that was nice, you know, looking mm-hmm. out and seeing the water of the Gulf everywhere, uh, watching the fish and the sharks underneath the uh, struts of the rigs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I tired of it pretty quickly because it was just phenomenally dull. Yeah. It's, I mean, talk about the idea of, of, of a frontier space. Like that really is its own kind of frontier. Like you're, but very quite literally sort of locked in, like you're not going anywhere until there's a ship headed for shore. It was beautiful sometimes though. Just really gorgeous. Uh, I, you know, I was on a barge once when we were coming, trying to get back to the coast because mm-hmm. there was a hurricane out in the Gulf and we were just getting the heck out of there. Oh yeah. Uh, just being tossed on the waves and uh, you know, all the things were sliding off the tables. Like it was like a cartoon. You couldn't keep anything on a table. Um, that was exciting and gorgeous. Uh, there was a, uh, I used to, there was one rig that I would go on the top of. Uh, we had a skeleton crew. It was not like a, it was not functional, it was not producing, but it was meant to stay functional. And I go up in the middle of the night on the uh, helicopter pad because there were no helicopters coming. And uh, in the daylight, you could look around all in every direction and see nothing but but the gulf, the water. But at night, you would see ringed around the horizon all these little lights of other rigs out there. It was like it was like uh, you were surrounded by distant candlelight. Huh. Uh, Really, really striking. And of course, the stars overhead, you know, no city lights yeah. to interfere with that. Just breathtaking. And, and, and as Hollywood has taught us, at one point in your, in your time there, you had to use your, your ninja-like chef knife skills to repel terrorist <laughs> orders. Or, or the thing. Wait, that's an actual thing, isn't it? What movie was that? <laughs> oh, Wasn't that a Jean-Claude so Van Damme thing or something? There's been so or? many movies like that. Yeah, there's oh been my God. movies like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess you're yeah, right. That happened a couple times. One of these days I might. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the next book, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's being optioned and uh, Tom Hardy's going to be in it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Sold. Yeah, no I'm kidding. So man. there. I will go watch right. that in a heartbeat. Yeah, with Venom, he sort of proved that he could look sort of like kind of sweaty and beleaguered and confused and people See, would still pay I'm lots a, of money for it. So. I'm a Tom Hardy fan from way back when he was playing a cloned version of Jean-Luc Picard in a really shitty Star Trek The Next Generation movie. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. We got – well, everybody has to start from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to wonder with this background in, in 
cooking and working in, in food spaces and, you know, and circling back to your daughter. Has your daughter spent a lot of time with you in the kitchen when she was growing up? Was that a, was that a thing that you would do together? Your own no, family dinner? I don't, I don't cook much at home. It's, it's just to call myself a cook. You know, I was more of it's, <clears throat> I was more of a cog in a machine in the kitchen. I would a preparer of foods. Yes, I could do a task <laughs> to run the grill. Uh, pretty good grill cook. Um, but you know, if if it comes to like producing something on my own, you mm-hmm. know, give me some ingredients and say, okay, make something good. Hopeless, hopeless. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I I I I'm a cook in the most generous definition of that word. I mean, so, things have so, been cooked by you, so that's, that's good. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I have I have a, a I have a semi serious question, which will shock all the all the listeners. Uh, a, a theme that we often have here, and that we talk about, is is actually food in books. Mm-hmm. Because if you do read some of those harder SF books, you know it's all food pellets and and dehydrated this and and mush and you know. Uh, all that uh, like weird stuff, and then the 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 things that I tend to like, and I think that Tracy tends to like, is is stuff where people are actually cooking something, and you know it's like because the meal brings people together. So a lot of times you see something like a firefly, and in firefly, you know they have the they have the communal meals where everybody kind of comes together in the in the one room and eats. Uh, you have yeah. something like the Expanse books where you know they're they're always in the Rosinante uh, in the in the uh, in the kitchen cooking and having a meal together and stuff. And, and so these are things that we enjoy. I remember reading years ago, the JB Jones, uh, uh, Baker books. <clears throat> and those were the first ones where food was like a huge thread throughout the whole thing for a fantasy series. And it wasn't just like, you know, people sitting around a campfire eating stew that someone yeah. threw together or, or eating, you know, hard tack and this or that. And so food is something that we talk about a lot. I apologize. I have not read your books. I don't know if there's been an influence. <laughs> if there's been an influence from your former career, like do you do you? How do you handle food in your books? Or do uh, you? Not much. Uh, you'll be disappointed to hear. Um, the uh, uh, within the strange, uh, it's just referenced just tangentially every once in a while. There's a lot more smoking and coffee drinking in my books than there is food preparation. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, well, I, I usually only have two cups of coffee a day. So <laughs> <laughs> this is the when Patrick raises the coffee cup that's the size of a newborn infant. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just do that. Well, I think actually this is this is making me think about uh, some of the the pre discussions that we had uh, in the green room and you talking about your your fun and games, um, cooking planning that you've been doing lately, Patrick. So I'm feeling like this is a picks of the week moment here. You ready? Sure, we can do picks of the week. Picks of the week. All right. So I'm going to throw you under the bus here, Patrick. Can you let us model good picks behavior? Sure. So, so I, uh, I, 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 I feel uh, a kindred spirit with you, Nathan, a little bit. I, I, but I love to cook, but I cook very specific things. Like I have, I have my go-to things that I do, 
you know, I can I can make a pizza from scratch because I grew up in a in a in a my dad's restaurant. I can make a pizza from scratch, and I'm good at that. I you know I do enchiladas, I do some other things. One thing that I've always loved is grilling. Um, and my family, so I, I, I tell people I'm a, I'm an Irish hillbilly because my father was Irish from Chicago and my mom was a hillbilly from Paducah, Kentucky. And so, you know, a, an Irish guy owning and running an Italian restaurant in Chicago versus, you know, uh, Paducah and barbecue. And so one thing I've always been very interested in is smoking meat and, and, and kind of doing that kind of traditional barbecue. So I recently bought a pellet grill. And I'm trying to learn more about smoking and how to how to smoke meats and, and and use the indirect heat kind of stuff for cooking. So my pick this week is actually it's not the grill, it's a book. Uh, it's called Project Smoke: Seven Steps to Smoked Food Nirvana Plus a Hundred Irresistible Irresistible Recipes from Classic to Adventurous. And this is written by a guy named Stephen Reichlin, Reichlin, R A I C H L E N, who does a lot of barbecue Bible cookbooks. And this one, it, it, you know, I'm, I, I, I just, I want to learn how to use this thing and how to do it correctly. And, uh, so I, I, I reached out and kind of started looking for different books and this is one of the ones that I found and I'm liking it a lot. And it, you know, it kind of walks you through how this thing works, why it works the way it does, how to do things. And, and the one big takeaway that I've gotten so far is you don't cook to time you cook to temperature. Hmm. So I always follow recipes and I, and I've always done that. Like I follow recipes and I'll do it, you know, down to the minutes. Like it says, you know, start here and here here, and it should take you 45 minutes to do this and blah, 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 blah. That doesn't work with a smoker. (laughs) You, you really have to go with the, the internal temperature of whatever it is you're trying to cook. Uh, Hmm. Because they can, the different smokers can fluctuate in temperature. And, you know, you think that it's at 400 degrees for 10 minutes and it's not, it's fluctuating between, you know, 300 and 450. It's going back and forth. Or if you're trying to do a slow smoke, it could be fluctuating even lower than you want it to be. And so it's just going to take a little longer time. So this book is really cool. Uh, it, 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 it holds my hand. It's been holding my hand and walking me through how to do stuff. And I'm, and I'm really enjoying it. So Project Smoke uh, and Stephen, whatever the hell his name is, Reichland. Reichland <laughs> like yes. That. Apparently he's written a ton of barbecue books. Yeah. Uh, It'll be linked in is, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. He is to barbecue what Bobby Flay is to Food Network. Oh, okay. But Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we um I was thinking as you were talking about this that if Ronan likes spending a lot of time outside uh running around your yard and flopping on the deck and whatnot, as soon as you start cooking giant slabs of meat for hours and hours at a time, you're never gonna get that dog back inside. No. He's just I, gonna I, like I spend his whole life worshiping yeah. at the altar of whatever's happening inside that thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when it's when it's running, he's nowhere near it because it's hot. Um, right, yeah. when it's done and it's cooled off, he's making circles around it. Like right, looking. Yeah. Like did something mine, drop? Right? Is there something here? Um, uh, yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. So Nathan, would you like to share a pick with us? <clears throat> um, sure. Uh, this isn't so much a thing as it is an activity. Uh, is sure, that sure. kosher? I have it. I have it. Absolutely. Okay. The, uh, so what I've been doing, especially as uh, the weather has gotten warm again, is uh, 
taking the motorcycle and what doesn't have to be on a motorcycle, but you can do it in a car, but just doing a lot of riding, uh, in small, I live in the Appalachian mountains. Yeah. Uh, so just finding, uh, back roads, small two lanes, uh, and just exploring, uh, little towns, little roads where they go, uh, that I've never been before. And, uh, without any kind of idea of without any kind of GPS or map to go by, right. just, just kind of disappearing into the, into the, uh, into the beyond. I'm going to um, get lost and, for a few hours on purpose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, and especially in crucially staying away from major roads and highways, uh, mm, yeah. finding all these small places that we never get to see, um, uh, whether they're little, little townships or whether they're just these, these kind of like surviving, uh, pieces of wilderness that only have nothing, don't have much more than a road going through them. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just seeing some amazing, some gorgeous sights, breathtaking sights, uh, uh, and uh, found little communities I never would have known existed, and yeah, uh, yeah. and just and just you know, and, and sometimes uh, finding a place to to park and uh, take a picture or just write about the ride, the experience, the smells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, um, I guess just trying to pay attention to the small background places uh, mm-hmm. that exist everywhere yeah. around us. It loosens Speak the mind way. up, you know. Give you give yourself some some new thing to do, some new thing to see. I, I have always loved to drive. I, I I used to drive all the time, and I think it comes from growing up in in Fresno, where if you didn't drive, you couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's yeah. like you needed yeah. to be you needed to have a car in California. You need to drive, and so when I lived in uh, when I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I loved doing that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, cause you can, you never know what you're going to find. And I remember like one of the best barbecue places in Chattanooga, you had to do that. You had to like go on these side roads, back roads and everything. And you get to this house and it was a house that had no floor. <laughs> it was a dirt floor. And that was like the best barbecue in town. That's where they, they had a little uh, barbecue pit and, and would make barbecue. <laughs> so the, I, I, I love that pick. I think that's an amazing pick. Was there a lady with like a big roach pet as well? Because it sounds like <laughs> no roach pet, no roach pet. Okay, all right, no. It sounds like she might show up there and feel very welcome. So, <laughs> all right. So I I feel like the uh, my pick is going to kind of dovetail in an interesting way with yours, Nathan. So, um, like lots of us who are into books and stories, I have what seems like an endless to be read pile. Uh, and I decided to, instead of going for the next thing in, in physical order or digital order, in the case of my audiobook pile, um, I decided to shop around a little bit and say like, well, a few months ago, what was past me thinking that I should be reading right now? And so I grabbed something that was a little bit deeper in my queue, and I'm glad that I have. Uh, this is a nonfiction book. It's by Alexandra Horwitz. It's called On Looking, 11 Walks with Expert Eyes. And the premise behind this book is that Alexandra Horowitz, who uh, has written other books uh, in in the sort of realm of creative nonfiction, most notably about dogs. She loves dogs. So she likes she's written about, you know, how do dogs see the world differently than we do? And what is it like to be a dog or things like that? Um, This particular book, she lives in New York, uh, specifically in Manhattan, and she 
started thinking about how she tends to walk the same routes all the time and how in the course of living in a pretty walkable place and going lots of places on foot, it was strange to her that it seemed like there was so little to see. And so she started to theorize that maybe the problem isn't that there's so little to see. It's that she's become so habituated to it that she doesn't see things anymore. And so the premise of the book is that she's found 11 different expert witnesses of a sort to accompany her on walks to places that she's been before, uh, but that she doesn't see in the same way that they do. And so, for instance, uh, one of the experts is a geologist who works at New York University, and they end up going on a walk through Central Park. And in the course of going on a walk through Central Park, he points out to her like how that particular rock is totally bonkers because that rock is, in fact, not even like they would have had to bring that rock in from Indiana and then bury it in the ground to make it shunt up out of the earth like that. And why would they do that as from a design perspective? And another one is a letterer. Um, and so he just spends all this time walking through Manhattan with her looking at signs going, ooh, like, why would you do that font with this font? And be like, look at the kerning here. And so every person that she walks with has a very different expert-driven way of seeing the world. And the framing of the book is really interesting because um, the first chapter is her walking around her own neighborhood. And then every chapter that follow, and it, it is just an, an account of everything she saw, and she's like making a concerted effort to be very observant on this walk. And so this is like most observant me does my neighborhood. Every chapter that follows after that begins with a selected quote from that walk of herself thinking she's doing a good job observing something. And then somewhere in the chapter that follows, the person who is the expert starring in that chapter encounters that same thing and sees it wildly differently. And so there's a lot in here about how the literal body works and the sense of your eyes and the sense of your brain and the sense of your memory. There's a lot in here about um, how we develop languages for describing things and how that changes when we go from infancy where we have no language to describe what we see and how to some extent language makes us see things differently because if we don't have words for certain things, we stop trying to look at them. Um, or if the words that we have for certain things feel uninteresting to us, we stop trying to look at them. Um, but it's just an amazing book. And the particular format I'm reading it in audiobook has been fun because it's read by the author um, and she's really quite a good reader as well. So if you're interested in uh, On Looking, 11 Walks with Expert Eyes by Alexandra Horowitz, I recommend it. That sounds fascinating. It is. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a fun read. I mean, it's a little, a little on the dense side. She's a very florid writer. So I think there's a, there's a possibility of people going into the book and bouncing off of it for style reasons. But I'm, I'm down with it. The premise has me. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So we've been on quite a journey here. Um, we've, we, we've gone through the frontiers of your life. We have, we have gone very briefly to the surface of Mars uh, and to your diner. And we hope uh, our readers will accompany Annabelle on her adventure to get back what's been taken from her. Where can people find you, find your book, find, find further cool stuff that's in your future? Uh, they can find me on, uh, my, my, I guess I'm most active on, on Twitter. Like, like, I guess most people these days of my age demographic anyway, um, at N Ballingrud. Um, uh, the book, uh, is readily available. Uh, at most places books are available. Um, shouldn't be that hard to find. 
And, uh, and yeah, if you, if I do have a website, which I have, uh, have not been tending, uh, so I should probably get to do get to, uh, who among um, us, my friend. It's, who among it's, us? It's a common theme. Yeah, it's a common yeah. theme. No, there, no author we talk to goes. I have a robust website that I update every single day. That's right. I think seven out of ten are like, I have a website, but don't go there. So, yeah. like, the best place to find me and keep up to date on anything is Twitter. That's where that's right. where I sure. post most things. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing more of you and seeing more of the strange. And thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. This has been fun. All good things. Here we are at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode, or any of our episodes, on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast, and it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Other than that, huh? what do we think about Mando season three? Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.